Hey, this is Dan Kogan. I'm one of the pastors at Grace Family in Pleasant Hill, Missouri, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today and let you know you matter to us because you matter to God. Enjoy the message. We all are like Jonah and that we all know if we're truly his children, we know what he wants us to do, but we often decide it's just not worth the cost. I don't really want to do it. And so the first part of this whole story begins not by saying, well, this has nothing to do with me because God's never called me to go someplace like Nineveh. As a matter of fact, I, I would say at a, on occasion, sometimes it's not the big things of obedience we have a problem with. It's the day-to-day small things of obedience we have a problem with. Sometimes it's not if God really did just shake you to the root and say, you've got to go do this and some big choice of life and everybody pray with you and you decide to go. But what about just the day-to-day drudgery? You're in a job you don't like, you're in an economy that's difficult, you're in a marriage that's stressful, and you've got people around you that you don't care about and and, and are are not kind and gracious to you. And so in the midst of that environment, it becomes very challenging and difficult for you daily to look for the grace of God to find your joy and your strength and to be patient, knowing that he's working all things together for your good. And so in order to run from what God wants him to do, he flees someplace else. And as we've always said, every time we've brought this text up, whenever we want to run from God, Satan provides an escape. He always provides a boat. You'll never have to go looking for a way to escape. Satan's going to provide something there for you some distraction, some sin, something that you can use to help distract you. And it does distract you because even when the storm came, everyone was frightened of the storm, throwing stuff overboard, thinking they were going to die, except for who? Jonah was sound asleep in the bottom of that boat because Satan is very good at distracting us. He can get our hearts so cold and so hard that we don't even really sense sometimes the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And that's a very dangerous place to be, and that's where Jonah was. Brought all this calamity, all this trouble on everybody around him because he simply wouldn't yield. The whole story of Jonah is this, summed up quickly. There are many things about it, but this is one of them, and you'll see it over and over again. Jonah's problem is that he's trying to find his joy in Jonah. He's trying to find his joy in the things that he wants to do and that he likes to do. And that's a very natural thing to do, finding your joy in what you want to do. But there's no ultimate joy in that. It's a cul-de-sac. It's a dead end. The only joy in life is really the glory of God and worshiping him and loving him and being obedient to him. That's where your ultimate joy comes. That's where the peace the world can't give you and the peace the world or disease or the economy can't take away. The Apostle Paul was a a man who had been beaten so many times, five times with 39 lashes. He'd been thrown in prison multiple times. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been abandoned by his friends. He'd been cold. He'd been hungry. But time and time again, when you read Paul's letters, even from the depths of a terrible prison, he is joyful. You read the Philippian letter, and Paul is just about to burst with joy. How does a man who's been beaten that badly, how does a man who is that broken, how does a man that was literally stoned and and, and stripped naked and drug out of town and thrown on a a pile to be thought he was dead and he gets up and walks back in town and keeps preaching, how does a man like that find his joy? Well, he doesn't find it by looking in the mirror. He doesn't find it by looking at his own comfort. He finds it in Christ Jesus. 
So that he says, I have learned, and I love the fact that it was a learned process through his life. I have learned to be content. How many of you want to be content? How many of you want to be around people who are content? I have learned to be content in whatever state I'm in, whether I have a lot or little, whether I'm free or whether I'm in prison. And then he even talks about death. And the apostle Paul says, you know, for me to die is great. To live is great. I don't know. To die is great. To live is great. It's all great. You think, wow, is he nuts? No, he's not nuts. He's focused on Christ. And almost the antithesis of Paul and what he's going through is Jonah and what he's going through. He's not focused on the glory of God. He's not focused on the mission of God. He's not focused on on loving and worshiping and serving and losing himself in God. He is totally focused on what he wants to do with his life and the way he wants to do it. And that is a battle you and I fight every day. The adversary never lets up on us on telling us the real pathway to joy is to acquire more stuff, to have more people like us, to do more what we want to do. And for a moment, as Jonah was in the, in the bottom of that ship in the midst of a storm, there is, a, there is a, a sense of satisfaction that comes from that. I'm not in Nineveh. I'm sound asleep. I'm on this boat that's been provided. But it is a shipwreck waiting to happen. When you are not obedient to Christ, when you are not looking to him for your ultimate purpose and joy in life, your life is a shipwreck waiting to happen. And so you know the rest of the story in chapter 1 where they discuss about why this is happening, and Jonah owns it. He acknowledges he is a child of God. He is a believer in God, the one true God. But he's still not willing, even at that point, he is so dug into his his sin and so dug into his being obstinate against God that he would rather die than be obedient. You think, how do you get there? Well, you get there one decision at a time. You get there as you neglect your spiritual life. You get there as you neglect, neglect gathering with the brothers and sisters in Christ. You get there as you neglect your discipleship. You get there as you neglect reading and absorbing God's word. You get there as you neglect thinking on the gospel and all that Jesus has done for you. As you think about the world and your life, one decision at a time, moving further and further and further from what God wants you to be, you will eventually get to a place like Jonah where you're so unhappy you would rather die than actually repent and go back to what God wants you to do. And Jonah just doesn't want to die once in this story, but several times in this story. And the reality of it is, listen to me carefully, Jonah is not doing what Jonah wants to do. That's probably the most important part of the story. Jonah's not doing what Jonah wants to do. When you and I refuse to be obedient and we refuse to submit to the lordship of Jesus and we refuse to do those things that we know he wants us to do, we're we're not submitting to our own authority. We're submitting to the authority of the adversary. Jonah's doing what Satan wants him to do. Oh, Jonah thinks he's running his life. Jonah thinks he found that boat. Jonah thinks he's running away from God. Jonah is doing exactly what, as, as I said, as, as, as Bob Dylan says, you're going to serve somebody. It's going to be the devil or it's going to be the Lord. You just need to know that. It's not a new, there's no neutral place. And so Jonah is not serving Jonah at this point, even though he thinks he is. He's serving the adversary. The adversary has him. And that is always a place that leads to sorrow, destruction. And there's one thing about Satan, right? What's, I mean, before, before Satan, before he showed up in the garden as, as, as the serpent, 
And before he, he convinced Eve to eat of that fruit, and she convinced her husband, there was no death. God said the wages of sin is death. If you eat of this tree, you will surely what? <coughs> Die. Die. Death is, death, death is, 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 the, is the hallmark of Satan. Can I, can I just tell you that's why our culture is so caught up with death? I know some of you like zombie movies. I know you do. I'm the walking dead. I'm not going to, I'm not here. I'll let, whatever. I know they're entertaining and funny. I get that. And I know you watch a lot of murder shows on TV where people get killed and then you got to figure out why they died and who killed them. I get all of that. But do you ever wonder why our culture uses death as an escape? Why we think death and those kinds of things is entertaining? When we live in a culture where you're going to go home tonight, and I would almost guarantee you there'll be a, a crawl across the bottom of your TV screen of somebody who got shot and killed in Kansas City Metro today somewhere. There's some family deeply grieving over that. Or you'll hear of a traffic accident It took the lives of some folks. Or you'll hear news of a loved one who got a terrible diagnosis from the doctor and doesn't have much time to live. Nothing very entertaining or humorous about that, is there? Or the fact that we live in a culture where so many people being held captive by Satan truly believe that destroying a baby in a womb is a right and a privilege. Why are they so adamant about doing that? Or a culture that believes you should be able to end your own life with dignity. Why is the culture... Satan is all about death. And so here, when Jonah wants to die, that is no surprise because he's being held captive by Satan. And that is where following him always leads to death not to life. Jesus and God are all about life, abundant, wonderful, eternal, everlasting, glorious, joyful, paradise. Satan is about death, but he makes death almost intriguing to us, almost as though it's an escape. For Jonah, I would rather die, he says. Really? So distorted do we become when we quit finding our joy and our purpose and our meaning in Christ and in God and in the Holy Spirit and in his word and we look for it in our own joy, our own pleasure, and our own life. Again, going back to the very beginning when the serpent comes to Eve and says, look, why don't you eat of that tree? And the first thing Eve says is, No, God hath said, you shall not eat of that tree or you shall surely die. You know, if she'd have just stopped with God hath said, we'd all be in a different place right now. But the adversary convinced her that, well, God didn't really mean what he said. And after all, wouldn't you really like to be like God and know everything? Wouldn't you really like to be like God? Wouldn't you really like to be the one that makes all the determination of what you're going to do with your life, Jonah? Don't you want to be in charge, Jonah? That is the root of all sin. 
And listen to me carefully. That is the pathway to sorrow and sadness and death. It may look like the pathway to joy and independence and satisfaction. It absolutely is not. And if anything, this story written by Jonah as a testimony of his own failure should speak loudly to us. This is a man who's telling his story completely and totally without trying to change it or color it to make himself look good because no doubt he wants you to see what he experienced. And so he's ready to die and so they throw him overboard. And as you and I have talked about on many occasions the last few weeks, he thought he was truly going to die. But there was something worse than death and God brought a fish to swallow Jonah. And then the wonderful way this story is told again in the book of Matthew that we briefly looked at last week in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, the scribes and Pharisees say, Master, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus said to them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, what's the sign of the prophet Jonah? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. By the way, Did Jonah really get swallowed by a fish? Well, Jesus said he did, so I think I'll agree that he did as well. For it was as Jonah was in the belly, Jesus says this, for as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. That's just worth coming to church and hearing again, folks, that Jesus is saying one of the reasons Jonah was in that belly of the fish was a picture of foretelling. Jesus is a much better Jonah, but there's a foreshadowing of what happened to Jonah in what happened to Jesus. Because, when, well, let me just finish. It's so good. Then the men of Nineveh, the men of Nineveh, the men that we're going to read about next week who repented, the men of Nineveh will stand up and judge the generation who hear the preaching of Jesus but don't respond. Why? Because the men of Nineveh heard that a man spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish in the Mediterranean and got spit up on the shore. Well, if a man walks into your town and you know he's been in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights and he gets spit up on the shore, you're going to listen to him. Something happened to him. There's some power behind those words. And when we look next week at how the Ninevites repented, I think that has a lot to do with it. This wasn't just some guy who walked in here off the street. This is a guy who these sailors had thrown over the, overboard that had sunk into the ocean and some fish, unimaginable creature, had swallowed him. He spent three days there and he got spit up live on the beach. I think uh, that's, that's a testimony. And Jesus says, yet you perverse generation... The Son of Man will spend three days not in the belly of a fish, but dead in a grave and come back to life, and you're still not going to believe. And that's the situation we're in across most of the world today. And so he's in the belly of the fish, chapter 2, and he prays in a very unusual place and somewhat a very unusual prayer considering where he is. I'm trying to imagine the darkness of the belly of the fish. It can't be any darker. I can't imagine the... I can't imagine it. I can't. There's just no way any of us this side of heaven's going to understand what he went through in the deep, dark belly of that fish. But let me just say to you clearly another thing this text tells us is When we get into the boat that Satan provides, 
We have no idea where that's eventually going to end up. But it is never good. And I think probably Jonah felt like the worst thing that could happen to me was for me to die. But he realized there was something worse. I could be in the belly of a fish. And we know he got out on the third day, but Jonah didn't know he was getting out on the third day. For all Jonah knew, he would be in there for indefinite. Who knows? So Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Verse chapter 2, verse 1. So Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I want you to begin by understanding that even Jonah, listen, this is so terribly important to those of us who are his children. Even though Jonah was disobedient in a way that puts him to the head of the class, all right? I mean, he's like the poster child for disobedience, amen? Even though that's who he is, he prayed to his God. He knew in the deepest moments, darkest moments, most alone moments of his life that he was still a child of God. And there's some satisfaction for me there. Listen, my salvation doesn't depend on my activity. It depends on the complete covenant relationship I have with a God who is faithful. And even in my most unfaithful moments, I can know I'm still his. That's a glorious truth. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, in the belly of the fish. He said, I called the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol or death, and he heard my voice. And then he says this, you're the one who threw me into the depths, into the hearts of the sea, and the current overcame me, and all your breakers and all your billows swept over me. But I have said, I have ban- I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. It's as though even as he was going under, this is such a glorious little insight into, not a little insight, a glorious insight into a child of God, even though he was totally done, totally ready to give up, totally in rebellion, at that moment where he felt he was died, he was again thinking about God and looking toward the holy temple. I love that. Look, I don't want to give you false hope. I do not want to give you false hope. Let me say that one more time. I don't want to give you false hope. But I look at the story of Jonah, and some of us have loved ones who are very rebellious and and very openly uh, not receiving what God would have for them anymore, and yet they profess to be Christians. And this is not a story or a message about that, about false salvation or or, or a faith that won't save you. There are certainly messages to be preached in that, but there's also a message to be said in this. As disobedient as Jonah was being, at the moment of his death, his heart turned once again toward the holy temple. He knew he was still a child of God. The scripture does say there will be those in heaven who get there literally by the skin of their teeth. I just want you to know that if you're redeemed, you're redeemed. What a glorious truth. That even in the midst of his disobedience and as the waves were swallowing him, he says here, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. In his prayer, he describes what everything is going on and how he's completely going under. All of this, he knows. This This is all his own doing. He chose 
to do this. He chose to flee from God. He chose to get on the ship. He chose to have them throw over before him overboard. In verse 6, I sank into the foundations of the mountains and the earth's gates shut behind me. Then you raised my life from the pit, O God. As my life was fading away, this is again, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. There is so much grace in God. So much grace in him. Some of you are sitting here today thinking, I, you don't know, Pastor, how I failed. You don't know how many times I have sinned. You don't know how many times I, I have neglected to do what God wants me to do. Look, I'm not giving you a pass on that, but I'm telling you, if you're a child of God, if there was a time in your life when you truly repented and you asked him to be your Lord and he came to you and he regenerated you, you and I can be full of sin at times. We can be disobedient at times. We can be rebellious at times, but he never fails us. And you can always repent, even in the situation that Jonah was in. And if you do, he is there. That is what this story is saying. There is glorious hope in repentance of even the most wicked and disobedient servant of God. Don't ever let Satan say, you're so deep, you're so far off, God won't hear you anymore. Could there be any place more isolated on the face of the earth than the belly of a, shi- a belly of a fish in the middle of the sea? And in that middle of that darkness, he cried out, and... As, the, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. Yeah, you ought to just put that on your refrigerator or on your bathroom mirror, because this is spoken by a man who is in the absolute depth and pit of despair. He is telling you something that is life-transforming. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. An idol is something, listen, an idol is something you run to for comfort, for meaning, for security, for joy. And if you're running to anything to find your comfort, your meaning, your security, and your joy in life, if you're running to anything other than to God and his son Jesus, it's a worthless idol, and it will not bring you joy. And Jonah knows what he's talking about because his idol was doing what he wanted to do the way he wanted to do it. Jonah's idol was Jonah at this point. And he realized what a worthless idol that was. And in order, listen, in order to embrace a worthless idol, you have to abandon your faithful love. You have to abandon the true thing that brings you joy. So verse 9, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What a prayer. What a prayer. Those who cherish their worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah learned this sentence, Charles Spurgeon says. He learned this sentence of strong theology in a strange college. (laughs) 
He learned it in the fish's belly at the bottom of the sea with seaweed wrapped around his head. Now listen carefully. Most of the great and wonderful truths that Christians have learned have been learned in times of trouble. They must be burned into us with a hot iron of affliction. Otherwise, we don't truly receive them. Look what it took for Jonah to really understand who he was and who God was. It was the hot iron of affliction that made that clear. It wasn't just getting on a rough ride in a boat. It wasn't just going through a storm in a boat. It wasn't just being overthrown into the sea in a boat. It was only when he got in the belly of that fish for three days and he once again realized that that when he had time to think about life and time to think about death, that he truly was a child of God. And he looked once again toward the holy temple, toward God, toward his glory. He repented of his sin and acknowledged it. And he acknowledged that God is the one who saved him and continues to save him. And in the midst of that, he speaks truth to us about the false idols in our life and how they bring us no joy. And we have to lay down that which we really cherish if we're going to chase them. And he learns all of that where? Not in the college, not in the seminary, not on a mountaintop, not in a great worship experience, but in the depths of affliction. So glorious is our God that we don't even want to waste our affliction. As John Piper made it so abundantly clear when he, when he was diagnosed with cancer many years ago, he didn't want to waste his cancer. What does that mean? It means God can use anything in our life to edify us and, and glorify himself and grow us to be more like him and bring us joy. And he didn't want to waste this terrible experience that people dread and fear for rightfully so. He didn't want to waste it just thinking about himself and thinking about all the pain and all the sorrow. He wanted to find out where God was going to meet him at the point of this affliction because God always meets us at the greatest need at our point of affliction. And we often see him at that time in a way we've never seen him before because everything else is blown away and all that's left is him. And you never really understand the glory of Jesus until perhaps you're in a situation that everything else you value is destroyed and all you see and all you have left is him. Listen, and then you realize he's all you need. You understand? And that's what Jonah realized at that moment. And it's a glorious truth, and it's a wonderful truth. When Jonah was delivered from this great danger, he was willing to go to Nineveh. And he was willing to preach to the Ninevites. Not begrudgingly, not because he had no choice in it, But truly, I believe, because in the belly of that fish, he once again realized who he was, realized who God was, realized God was not finished with him. He truly did repent. He truly did acknowledge God's rightful place in his heart, and he went. But as we'll find out next week, our sanctification is a process. (laughs) When you come to know Jesus... Whether you're five years old or 
95 years old, and you repent of your sin and you call him Lord, he works a work of grace in your heart and he justifies you. That means you're made right. You are made justified. It's though so you've never sinned and your sin is not held against you and you have a home in heaven and he writes your name in the Lance Book of Life and he prepares a room for you in his own house and he'll come again one day and receive you that where he is, you will be also. Those things are certain. No man that the Father has given me, he says, can be removed from my hand. You will never lose your salvation if you truly have faith in Christ and he has truly regenerated your heart. That will never, ever go away, no matter what. And that means you're justified. And when you come to gathered worship on Sunday morning, you can't be any more justified than you're justified right now. You're as justified, you either, you're either lost or you're saved. You're either hell-bound or heaven-bound. There's nothing in between. And you're heaven-bound because of what Jesus has done. You're heaven-bound because of what Christ has accomplished. You're heaven-bound because of what Christ is continuing to accomplish in your life. The reason you woke up this morning still saved has nothing to do with you, has everything to do with Jesus. The reason when you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, if we come to the end of our life and we're about ready to slip off into death, we don't have a plan B about how to raise ourselves from the dead. Jesus is going to raise me from the dead. I'm not worried about how I'm going to do that. He'll do that. And the way I trust him to raise me from the dead, I trust him every day to keep me saved. I can't be any more saved than I am today. However, there's something called, this Bible talks about justification and it talks about sanctification. And those are words that simply mean justified as you're made just as you, as, as, before God, righteous before God. Sanctified talks about how we live like Jesus. And sanctification is a process. I think that's why Paul said, I have learned to be content. That's not something that came to him immediately. It was a process of learning. I think we see what's happened here in Jonah's life. There's some sanctifying going on. He's had to learn. It took that, it took that, it took that crucible of being thrown into the sea and swallowed by a fish for him to come to the place of true repentance. He's learning. There's a sanctification. There's, and many times it's through these difficult, difficult experiences, through the, through the, the, the hot iron of affliction, that we become even more sanctified. Really, our sanctification, our becoming like Jesus, our living more holy, our blowing away the junk and the sin of this world, it really moves much faster in times of affliction than in times of non-affliction. It's true for me. It's true for everyone. Look at all the affliction the Apostle Paul went through. It's the most, every time he went through the affliction, he realized all he really needed was Jesus. So he realized his other stuff in the world wasn't going to make him happy anyway. And whatever the world gives you, the world will take away. But you'll never lose Jesus. And so it's sanctification is a process. And, and in this process, it's not, look, it's not a, it's not a straight it's not, it's, not a, it's not a growth line where you start here and you end up here and it's just a straight upward movement. No way in the world. It is up and down. It is two steps forward and two steps back sometimes. And we're going to see, if the Lord allows us to be here next week, as much as Jonah grew and improved and came to his right heart and mind in the belly of that fish, as much as he was obedient to go preach to the Ninevites, just like you and me, his sanctification was not complete and won't be till we get to heaven. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and how truthful it is. Even in this prayer of Jonah that he prayed, I pray you'll help us see ourselves in that. Lord, help us acknowledge sometimes the crucible of life, the the affliction, the hot-armed affliction is a, a wonderful place for us to be because it blows away everything else and helps us once again see the holy temple of God, to look to you as the only source of joy in life. So, Lord, let us not waste our affliction complaining about it, but let us seek to meet you in it and find out what you will teach us through it. I thank you for the testimony of Jonah. I know he gets a bad rap in the Bible for a lot of reasons, but I thank you that this man wrote this story down so that we could read it and hear it and be blessed by it this morning so that we could learn from what he has done and we would see the folly of making an idol out of our own path and our own decisions and where that leads to death, to darkness, to distress. Rather, we need to embrace you as our only true love in life. And to begin, Father, by simply acknowledging you have our best interest at heart. And when we want to live a happy and fulfilling life, we live it according to your word. These things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand with us as we sing just a moment. And if you have anything you want to pray with an elder or pastor about, maybe making this your church home, maybe you don't even know that you're really a believer in Jesus. I mean, you believe him. Maybe you're a member of a church someplace. Maybe you were baptized as a child somewhere. But if all this talk I'm talking about, knowing that you're a Christian, knowing that you've been regenerate, knowing that you'll never lose your salvation, if that's something that you have some concerns about, the Bible says these things are written so that you might know you have eternal life. You can come and we can share in God's word with you how you can know that. It's likely many of us in this room today are in Jonah's shoes in one way or another. We're running in some direction. We, we, we know God wants us to be the kind of husband that loves our wife as Christ loved the church, wants us to be the kind of employer or employee that loves and cares for people, wants us to be even more generous with our time and our money than we currently are, wants us to spend more time reading his word and in prayer than we currently do. And we decide we don't really want to do that. So daily we have to battle our own desire to follow our own God, which really is the adversary, and daily look to the cross and find our joy in him. So if that's your case this morning, as we sing, just like I will, just confess your sin, acknowledge how, how easily led astray we are away from the glory of God into our own world, and how easy it is to find a boat to get away from God anytime Satan provides one. So just confess that today. Don't wait to get thrown overboard and get thrown into the crucible of affliction. Short circuit that. Get back and get right with him. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, be sure to subscribe to our show so the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready whenever you are. And secondly, if Grace Family has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description and make a donation now. And we'll see you next time on the Grace Family Podcast.